Hello, my good friends. Mike Shreve here, founder and head troublemaker of the No Pants Project. You're listening to episode 38 of the No Pants Show, Could versus Should. I am so happy to be back with you. It's been about three weeks almost since I've been on the daily episode habit. And there's a reason that I took a break. We're going to talk about that today. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the mental framework I use to determine priorities. One of the interesting things about running a business, running this particular business, is that you've likely heard of me or found me and my stuff from a Facebook ad. In that Facebook ad, I very likely said something along the lines of, I make a decent income working significantly less than the average person. Now, when you take a claim like that out into an overworked and underpaid world, you are naturally met with a significant amount of skepticism. What has been interesting to me, however, is that the skepticism to the claim of decent income on part-time hours is ironically almost an argument for the current working system. Let me explain. How most people function in their job is as follows. They are paid to show up, whether it's for a specific number of hours or it's based on you know a salaried contractual agreement they're paid to show up that's sort of the step one of their job what this leads to is a misunderstanding and a redefinition of work today's society, it appears to me, and there seems to be quite a bit of uh, research and evidence to support what, what I think is going on, which is people are rewarded for busyness, not productivity. One way that you could test this would be to take, let's say, a corporation and to only pay people based off the results they contributed to whatever goal that corporation has. There's a couple of things that you would find. One, the corporation itself would probably save a significant amount of money because let's be honest, some companies are just bloated in that they have people who are hired, who don't actually contribute all that much. You probably know of a few coworkers where you think to yourself, well, you just figured out how to kind of collect a paycheck for not doing much, right? (laughs) We've all experienced it. Hopefully you aren't that person. Because I think that's frankly 
morally and ethically bankrupt to just collect a paycheck for no contribution but that's something that's a different conversation for a different time but something else would happen and it is the people who currently work 40 50 60 hours a week would all of a sudden demand more efficiency they would demand it because they're only be if you're only getting paid based off of the value you contribute it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at your daily work schedule and realize at least half of it is nonsense these meetings we keep having over and over and over and over and over again which are really nothing more than political displays of ridiculousness right it's just people i mean gosh i had one client i've only had one corporate client and it's the only corporate experience i've ever had and they would have these meetings and i was just like what are we doing here it was just posturing it was just political plays who has the power etc cetera, etc cetera. almost nothing productive ever got done now that could have just been a reflection of that particular corporation but from what i hear that's not an uncommon experience so if you forced employees only to earn directly what they contributed things like that would begin to disappear constantly checking your email every 30 minutes would would disappear showing up would disappear because i'll tell you one of the most distracting places in the world is an office is an open uh, what do they call them open plan offices where people can just like yell at each other like across the room <laughs> and people can just come and interrupt you in the middle of your work and etc etc and people who have mouths to feed kids they wouldn't tolerate that anymore they would begin to see that there are people wasting their time distracting stealing time sorry man can't talk right now i got to get this done i only get paid for the value i provide so what you would find is that in these corporate settings and in most really most job settings much of the busy but not productive time would melt away and so that's why i always laugh when people criticize and not just me but just anybody who who has figured out this simple truth that there's a hundred things you could do but there's maybe one or two things you should do to grow your business to work with clients to make money working part-time hours and making good income isn't about push button software and you know the online scam stuff it's not about that it's about being disciplined enough mentally to make the decision to pursue only the things you should do instead of the things that you could do let me give you an example One of the ways that people often get caught up in the coulds and make mistakes is what you could do 
to get a client. A couple days ago, in one of our groups, I had a student ask me, Mike, do you think I should build a YouTube channel? And in that YouTube channel, should I drive people to my email list? Build up that email list real quick. And I want to share with you my answer because I want to share with you the thought process that is required to create a flexible business. Because the key to flexibility is mastery of the word no. Knowing when to apply no. So here's here's how we broke it down. First thing that you want to do when you're thinking about what what could I do of all these options that I could do I could make a YouTube channel I could do a podcast I could do an email list I could do this and I could do that what should you do first thing you have to do is ask yourself why am I even pursuing this what's the point of the thing that I'm considering. In this case, the student wanted to get more clients. Okay, so let's examine the possibility of a YouTube channel knowing that the purpose of it is to get more clients. Now, this particular student was not a videographer. They were a copywriter. So that's important to understand as well because my advice might be different if you're a videographer, but... So we walked through what it would take to build a YouTube channel. First off, you're going to have to learn how to make good videos. Good videos are hard to make. That's why there's so many stinking videos on YouTube. And so few of them have a lot of views. It's not easy. So you're gonna have to learn not just the production side of like what camera do I need to use and how do I edit it, but like what do you say and in what order and how do you know your audience is going to like it and etc. Like all of those things where the only way to find out is to make a bunch of videos until one takes off. So expect three, six, nine, twelve months of just making video after video after video and having most of them fail before you sort of figure out your place, right? We look at YouTubers and we say, wow, they've got half a million subscribers. It must be so easy or I can totally do that. What you don't know is they've been making a video every day for the past six, seven years. And what you're looking at is maybe their fourth channel, right? Where they finally figured it out. Okay, so you have to look, you have to ask yourself three, six, nine, 12 month potential time before I really start to see results. Why am I doing this again? I'm trying to get clients. Okay, well, let's think about that. Is this a good way to get clients if it takes me nine months to figure out the video? Well, no, that's not a great way. That's, that's not going to help me if I need clients within the next nine months. Okay, but let's keep exploring this. Okay, we, we still want to flesh it out. Okay, well, if you're going to make 
a, a YouTube video in this world of uh, marketing. So for example, this again, this person was a copywriter. They wanted to get copywriting clients. So you have to compare yourself to the other copywriters in the space to determine how uh, sort of competitive it is, right? And what I mean by that is, one of the things you would have to learn if you're going to do a YouTube channel is really not just YouTube SEO, but advanced YouTube SEO, because there's so many videos being produced by other copywriters trying to use YouTube as a marketing channel. So stack that on top of the things you have to learn. And understand that, that SEO doesn't happen overnight, although there still are overnight opportunities for ranking in YouTube, but they're probably not you know, for keywords of I'm looking to hire a copywriter. Next, we have to look at, okay, let's assume everything's going swimmingly. Let's assume that YouTube is working 110%. Let's assume that the videos are cranking and people are loving it. How are we turning them into clients? What's the mechanism that we're using? Well, this client, sorry, this student of mine, rightfully so, said email list. I'm going to grow an email list, right? It's the absolute best, hands down, still, even in 2019, the email list is still the main driver of commerce on the internet. Email, still. Will it be that way forever and ever? Probably not, but it still is right now and will likely be for the next five years, five, 10 years. So we've got people, our goal is to get people onto an email list. Let's look at YouTube. Ask ourselves a very simple question. Is YouTube designed to maximize clicks off of the site? Meaning... When the engineers at YouTube sat down to design this interface, to design how it works, to design the algorithm of how they show videos, does it seem like they're super excited for you to drive traffic away from YouTube? Or does it seem like they want to keep people on YouTube because they get money for the ad revenue, AKA the more eyeballs that stay on their site longer, the more they make. Well, as I always say, number one, follow the money. <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know. But number two, let's just take a look. Recommended videos, the sidebar there. And now they've adopted that sort of Netflix countdown before they automatically play the next video does that seem like they're super jazzed and put millions and millions of dollars behind algorithm developments and uh design and and hiring the smartest people on the planet to figure out how to keep you there does it seem like they're super excited about sending people from their site to your email list? No. So what can we assume? We can assume that click-through rates are going to be pretty darn low. Now, 
this is where I'm probably going to lose some people because they're going to say, well, gosh, what about all those YouTubers who are doing amazing things and, and building their site? And what about what Gary Vaynerchuk says? And what about Grant, Grant Cardone now has hopped on that bandwagon? And what about Frank Kern? He's hopped on it too. Everybody's talking about, I need to make 50 million pieces of social media. This is where can't or, or could, sorry, could... I'm so programmed to say no, could versus should comes into play. This is where could versus should comes into play. Could you go Gary Vaynerchuk the heck out of the YouTubes? Yeah, you 110% could. There's nothing special about Gary that you can't also achieve. But you have to listen to what he says. He says it took him years to build up that social channel. Do you know how long Grant Cardone has been in the public speaking space, producing content, selling stuff? More than 20 years. Now let's ask ourselves for a second, why are they doing this stuff? Because again, we have to, we have to look at what could you do and what should you do right now? Gary Vaynerchuk talks about how his YouTube, social media, whatever is helping him to grow his brand and get clients. I'm telling you right now that that is only half true. And I'm telling you that because I, all of my clients are in the Gary Vaynerchuk, very public social media guru giant space, all of them. How Gary Vaynerchuk uses social media to get clients isn't that he's hoping a CEO is sitting there watching his YouTube video. That's not what's happening. And you can tell because who's he talking to? He's talking to young entrepreneurs. It's only very occasionally that he'll do something for a bigger, um, you know, how to manage a team of 200 or something like that, right? It's like very occasionally. It's mostly the inspiration entrepreneur. So what is he trying to do? I can tell you what he's trying to do because I do this for my clients and I have for the past 10 years. What he's doing is he's getting influence. He's pumping up the numbers, not, not disingenuously. He's just, he's just showing that he has a huge following, a legitimately huge engaged following. He's very good at what he does. But what he does then is he turns around and he uses that as a tool to get $45,000 speaking gigs. How he makes his money is he gets paid $45,000 to go do the speaking gig. And it's at the speaking gig that he closes his $2 million a year Vayner Media contracts. So this is why you have to be so careful. Same with Grant Cardone. What does Grant Cardone do? What's his business model? It's very, very simple. He is running essentially uh, sort of like uh, almost like a, there's, there's an actual name for it, but just to simplify, it's like crowdfunded real estate investment. 
he goes out and finds the deals he goes out and makes the deals he takes care of the properties but he's essentially using other people's money to do so he does it the exact same thing he gets out there he goes on social builds his big old following gets paid a lot of money to be invited to exclusive events and give speeches it's at the exclusive events where he's rubbing shoulders with very influential people that he's able to get investments into this fund of his. You could call it a fund. There are actual real names for it, but <laughs> we're just kind of keeping it simple. Um, into It's called Cardone Capital. Millions of dollars to invest. Then he then uses that money to grow his real estate portfolio. So this is why could and should is so important. Could you build a massive social media following? Yeah, sure. Should you? I don't know. What are your goals? If your goals is to do stuff like that, to get invited to private events, to become a speaker, because there's a lot of money. Like I said, there's a lot of money in speaking. There's a lot of money in, in being invited to be the authority I mean, just consider the psychology of being the person who they present on the stage and say, here's your copywriting expert, Joe Namath or whatever, right? He's here to teach us. You're going to look awesome. You're probably going to close clients afterwards and you're probably going to get paid to speak. But is that the business you're trying to run? If it is, then ignore everything else and just do that thing. If it isn't though, You could do it, but you probably shouldn't. And let me give you the follow-up to my advice to the student. All my student wanted to do was get clients, get them consistently, get them quickly. So after we explored YouTube and sort of laid it all out there and said, look, this is, what's, this is the reality of what's going on. Are you prepared to put in several years to get up to the Gary Vaynerchuk level? And are you prepared during that time to do what Gary V clearly says, which is essentially eat dirt the whole time and be completely ignored and not have the results you're looking for? And naturally, of course, the answer was no. That's not necessarily what I'm looking to do. Okay, well, what are you looking to do? Well, I want to get clients as efficiently and quickly as possible. Okay, well, let's break down the process of what it takes to get a client. You need to get their attention. You need to offer them something and you need to be able to follow up with that individual until they say yes, because that's just how human beings work. They say the the money's in the follow-up, right? Which is to say sales typically don't happen on the first interaction. You need to follow up with them again and again and again. Okay, well, the best way to do that still in 2019, as I said, is an email list. Now, what's the fastest and most efficient way to build an email list? It's paid traffic, period, full stop. I could, in less than two weeks' time, build an asset that I could generate 200 to 1,000 new emails per day with paid traffic. Not 1,000 emails nine months from now when my you know, YouTube finally takes off and over the course of 60 days, I get 1,000 people to sign up to my email list. I'm saying within two weeks start to finish zero to let's just say low end 200 emails a day now you say wow that's really cool but i don't have a bunch of cash 
could versus should. Could you run an email list just investing money and and on the back end getting clients? Yes, of course. Should you? Probably. Is there a better way? Yeah. Create what's called a break-even offer, which is to say, as you're out there spending money on Facebook ads, we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I just want to sort of share with you the concept here. As you're out there spending money on Facebook ads, you have things for sale, lots of different things. They could be little mini services. They could be something we call an appetizer. They could also be a little mini courses or eBooks or templates or tools that you provide, whatever it is. Again, we don't have time to get into it now, but whatever it is, you stack it in such a way and there is an actual process for it and there is an actual, um, and I've been doing this for the, the break-evens for about between six and eight years. I can't remember exactly, but uh, finally got it down to a science where every time I want, I just build one of these things. A dollar, I spend a dollar on Facebook and within 24 hours, because people have bought some combination of these things I have for sale, I'll get a dollar back. Now, it's not exactly a dollar and a dollar. So for example, let's say I have a $21 mini course ebook thing for sale. I'll spend $21 on Facebook ads to get that one sale. Does that make sense? So 21 in, 21 back. But when you're looking at sort of like a PL, it's one in, one out. Now, I have a mechanism. It took me two weeks to build Facebook ads or YouTube ads or whatever. You know, maybe this person loves video. We'll use YouTube ads instead of trying to go YouTube organic. Get the same results, just build a mechanism that allows you to offset the cost of those paid ads. I can't remember if I've already said this on this episode or if this was another episode, but the other day I had to laugh hysterically because somebody on one of my Facebook ads was making fun of me. And on the Facebook ad, it was so, it just, it, it showed how much education we have left to do to help people see that there's no glory in hustling all day. Um, but it was just so funny to me because somebody said on the Facebook ad, you know, on, on my ad, I said something along the lines of, Hey, you know, I make about as much as a doctor and I, I hate hustling. I'm, I'm anti-hustle. The comment on the ad was something like, uh, Oh, you're so anti-hustle. Are you? Well, then why are you hustling with this Facebook ad? I see it everywhere I go. You must be hustling like crazy. That fundamental misunderstanding of a simple technique like running Facebook ads to a break-even offer is why so many people's businesses are broke, are making them sad, and take them more than a couple hours a day. Because here's what this person didn't fully understand. The exact Facebook ad that they commented on, I wrote 18 months ago. Put it up on Facebook, ran it, and didn't touch it afterwards. Now, it takes me maybe 20 to 30 minutes to run a Facebook ad. That one Facebook ad for the past 18 months has been generating sales, customers, revenue, and clients. And I haven't had to touch it. 
This is could versus should. I could go out there and try to do a YouTube channel. I could go out there and try to beef up my social media. I could go do public speaking. I could. There's so many things you can do. But the the question you have to ask yourself is, should I do it? Is this thing directly leading to the goal that I'm trying to achieve? If not, here's the great news. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. This is the difference between the employee mindset and the mindset of a business owner. You don't have to do anything in your business. Because remember the example I gave earlier of what would happen if we turn corporate America into a pay for performance only? As a business owner, guess what? You don't get paid for showing up. You only get paid for the value you deliver. Therefore, you not only have permission, you have the prerogative to look at everything you could do and focus only on the things you should do. Now, let me give you another example here of why I stopped podcasting for three weeks. Because there are levels to this could versus should, right? Ultimately, what we're talking about is getting good at saying no, which is something I haven't really talked a lot about on this podcast. It's something I talk a lot about on my daily email. It's a passion of mine to say no. Not because I'm trying to be rude or trying to be mean, but I think that if you're a person like me who wants to please others... And if you're a person like me who likes to explore things, if you're a person like me who enjoys new experiences and and, and wants to avoid confrontation and and all these sorts of things, they're all natural, sort of naturally how I've, um, the habits I've developed over time. It's very easy to have your time stolen from you, whether it's stolen through distractions or whether it's stolen because somebody says, I need you to do something or you feel a guilt towards something or et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that I've learned to love is the word no, because I've just found a ton of time that I've gotten back by saying no to the wrong things and saying yes to the right things. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given in my entire business career to this day Every year I spend at least $100,000 on trainings or masterminds or etc. Because I just want to improve. I'm like constantly wanting to like learn new things. And, um, you know, I'll buy programs if I already know 90% of what's in the program. But if there's 10% I don't know, I'll put the money down for the whole program. Like that's just, that's how you get to where you want to go. You, you can't continue to be the same person and expect different results. You got to upgrade a, a lot a, a lot of elements not just knowledge but also patterns and behaviors and etc anyways so one of the best pieces of advice i've ever been given came from a guy called Ryan Lee who i consider a mentor he is a big force behind why the no pants exists i flew out to his house well, or not his house but to where he lived his his town um 
had a, a day-long mastermind and by the end of that that mastermind that sort of meeting together it was just us and maybe like five or ten other people I came away and I was like it's time to make the no pants like there was that moment that I just was like it's time to go um, but his advice to me was this I was really struggling in my business just overworked absolutely brutally overworked working really long hours absolutely miserable making tons of money hated my life his advice to me was basically said mike i'm going to give you a piece of advice this advice will do two things one it will help you to learn how to work way less and two it's going to help you make significantly more money this was his advice best advice i've ever gotten ever for growing my business he said block out one hour every single day nobody can touch that hour except your son best advice i ever got because what it did is it showed me how to say no it showed me it opened my eyes to this could versus should i could spend that hour being busy in my business i should spend that hour connecting with my son i could spend that hour uh checking emails 50 times to see if the prospect is going to get back to me and close the deal and da 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 da, da etc but i should break out the legos and build a spaceship with my son and create a memory that's going to last best advice i ever got because it was in practicing that very simple exercise that i realized that the could versus should was true in all areas of my business in every minute of my day. Now to bring this back to the podcast. The past 2 or 3 weeks have been I would say top 10 most challenging uh times of my personal life. Uh several family members have gone through major changes. Some of them have been positive, some of them have been um things like going to the hospital. it has been a perfect storm um and there's been some things going on in in other aspects and other areas one of the most challenging times i've ever had in the past 2 or 3 weeks i could have continued to do the podcast but what i did instead knowing that you know i've announced this as a daily podcast knowing that people would miss it people would also at the same time maybe lose trust or judge me for saying i have a daily podcast and then missing two or three weeks knowing that i would potentially be losing sales because the podcast does drive sales knowing that you know all of the thoughts that go through your mind and as you doubt your choices those don't go away but having the framework of knowing i could keep podcasting i could I could grind through it right human beings are very good at just like 
tearing through something even though we're miserable, we're going to do it anyways. But what I should do is devote that hour or so that it takes me to do a podcast every day to my family. And that's exactly what I did. This is why... Here's the reality. The reality of the situation is that in 2019, opportunity is not the problem. If you have access to the internet, you don't even need money right now, right? Like, you're not supposed to say that if you sell stuff online, telling people that they don't need to buy anything, but that's the reality. Like, you don't even need to buy anything. If you have access to the internet, you have access to everything you need to get started. Now, eventually, hopefully you do turn around and invest because you'll you'll be limited to for what free information can provide you. But if you have access to the internet, you have everything you need to get going completely free. If you have access to a decent public library, the same is true. The problem is not opportunity. I don't care who you are. You could very realistically start a business. You could. The challenge that you will face is knowing what you could do and knowing what you should do. That is the challenge in today's world because there are so many distractions. I'll tell you one more story about how you have to be careful about who you listen to. Um, My team and I have been working on some social media stuff because we wanted to test and see if social media had any power to generate leads for us in an effective way so that we could just add another lead generation channel to our business. Hired amazing people to help me with this. Absolutely, you know, top shelf, number one in class. People who bent over backwards to help me to do this. We didn't really see the results we were hoping for. So the person that I had hired to help me with this did an incredible thing and she went out and she started asking all of the gurus all of the people who make millions of dollars per year who likely flood your inbox and flood your social media feeds touting the importance of social media social media social media social media social media Every single one of them came back and said our goals were unrealistic. Do you know what our goal was? 200 email opt-ins per month from our combined social media accounts. That's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Every single one said that was an unrealistic and unachievable goal. 
Now, <laughs> remember, with one decent break-even machine and a break-even offer, where a dollar of ad spend goes in and a dollar of ad spend goes out, I generate between 200 and 1,000 email opt-ins per day. I work for two weeks to make it. I set up the Facebook ads once and I let it run for literally years. And you have people who are making many millions of dollars telling people that social media is the penultimate in growing a business, saying that 200 leads per month, where my contribution is creating content so that we can share it five, six, seven, eight, nine times, like the amount of effort I would have to put into keeping the social media account going not to mention the cost of staff and et cetera, et cetera. This is how important the could versus should framework is. Now you may say, but Mike, social media is really important. And you know, like you need to do social media because it gains trust and et cetera. Yes. If that was my goal, I agree. If I wanted to be popular, If I wanted to be on a stage, if I wanted to be picked up by magazines, if if those were the goals of the business and goals of what I wanted to do in this particular instance, I would say you are 100% correct. But you have to know your goals and then select what you should do to achieve those goals in the most efficient manner possible. Otherwise, what can end up happening is you devote a significant amount of time, money, energy, and resources to an efficiency difference of 200 a month is impossible versus 200 per day would be a bad day. That's the efficiency difference in in what I was looking at. Now, again, this is not knocking social media. It's certainly not knocking the people who were involved in helping us with our social media. They were amazing and incredible. I'm simply saying, be careful about the distractions that are pulling you to spend time on things you could do instead of things you should do. If you want a lifestyle business, you can have it. All you have to do is to be able to think through what I just shared with you. And I don't think it's very difficult. I think anyone can see the big gurus telling me 200 leads per month is impossible versus me seeing every day a bare minimum of 200 leads coming into my business and making the decision to say no to the wildly inefficient thing. It's not rocket science. 
It's just thinking through. And then having the discipline to make the correct decision. So, I hope this episode has been helpful. I am so happy to be back on the podcast. It is an effective form of client getting for us. Plus, I love it. And that also is one of the things that's important, right? So should you do things that you love and enjoy? Yes. Even if they are slightly less efficient, as long as you are aware of why you're doing it. You know, I don't talk about it a lot, but part of the reason I'm doing the podcast is because I needed to inject some fun for myself back into the business for which this podcast exists. There's a lot of things I could have done which would have generated the same results as the podcast, but I'm doing this one and I should be doing this one because it's the most fun for me. All right, my friends, that is it. If you need help deciphering and figuring out what are the minimum viable actions, what's the most efficient process for you, what could you do and what should you do, please visit thenopantsproject.com, book a call with my team, and we'll have a chat about your business, about things that you maybe are doing right now that you might not necessarily need to be doing. Or, depending on where you are in your business, the things you should start doing instead to grow, to hit your goals, and to get where you want to be. Again, that's the nopantsproject.com. You can watch a short video and book a call with my team. That's it for me, my dear friends. This has been episode 38, could versus should. Hope it was helpful, and I'll see you tomorrow.